welcome to The Aggressive Life. We've got over 100 episodes of this podcast, a lot of conversations, lots of aggressive moves. And I don't know why you come to this show, but my hope is that at least some of you come looking for some encouragement, some guidance, some wisdom to push your life forward. Well, guess what? I also need that. I am not immune to needing guidance and wisdom in my own life. It's been a rough, rough 18 months And I've got my friend Ed on the other line today because that's what he does for me. He speaks life to me, and that's precisely what I need right now. I I think you might need it too. I know my life isn't the only difficult one. I'm not the only one feeling like I'm banging my head against a freaking wall in a no-win situation with no-win conversations day after day. Uh, My hope today is that My friend Ed will also give us some hope and help us to see maybe an aggressive move that you can do in being honest about where you are and asking for help. Dr. Ed Stetzer is a professor and dean at Wheaton College, where he serves as executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. He's planted, revitalized, and coached churches and pastors on six continents. He's earned more degrees and doctorates than you can shake a stick at. He's authored hundreds of articles and a dozen books. Ed is frequently sought out to speak on the church and Christianity and was recently featured on the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. Welcome to the aggressive life, Ed Stetzer. Wow. Wow. That is aggressive <laughs> life right there. <laughs> that is, you know, it's all it's all about pushing people. And today I want to I want to push people a little bit in the, gosh, religious area, the spiritual area, this is not a IE religious podcast, spiritual podcast, but I'm, you know, my, certainly my, my day job is, is a pastor. I think people might know of, you as a pastor. That's true. Some people might. Yeah. And you're kind of the guru of evangelicalism. <laughs> that's what I was going for. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> what, what, define right now. What, so people would wonder, what is an evangelical exactly, according to you? Well, first of all, that's a great question. I'm actually writing a whole book on that very question. Um, so evangelical it tends to be somebody who holds a very high view of the Bible, uh, holds someone who believes that men and women need to receive by grace and through faith the good news of the gospel, receive Christ and more. Uh, they tend to have a desire to share that faith, and they tend to focus their faith on the death and resurrection death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So an evangelical would be someone like you and someone like me who believes those things. Really? That's it? Because it seems well, like evangelicalism is a lot more than that. Yeah, well, let's not talk about that. Let's just focus on what it should be, not what it actually is. No, it, you're right. I mean, that's the challenge right now. So there's so many other things that are tied up in it. So people hear evangelical, and they think that's a you know, sub-block of the Republican Party if you're, if you're a white evangelical. People here. Evangelical, they may hear judgmental or super religious or something of that effect. But it's supposed to be, and scholars define it by, uh, I know it's not a phrase that we use around the house, but the Bebbington quadrilateral. Those four things I listed are the four things in the Bebbington quadrilateral that kind of makes a, I know, don't make fun of the Bebbington quadrilateral. No, I know, this is fascinating. The Bebbington Bebbington quadrilateral. Who who is Bebbington and when did he lose all of uh, the function of his limbs? Yeah, wow, that's, wow, wow. Um, Okay, I'm not going to respond to that, but I'm just going to move through. So uh, quadrilateral, four things that make up the the definition. And Bebbington was a, uh, is a British historian 
who was writing, and he's a scholar. So scholars, the job of scholars is to come up with definitions. Matter of fact, a lot of education is just simply the defining of words. And so Bebington comes up with these four things. And most people, you know, like, yeah, that's kind of what it looks like is that you'd want to see, you know, as an evangelical, I mean, you, you and I are both concerned that women and men, young people might hear the good news and respond by grace and through faith to the good news of the gospel and be what Jesus called being born again. So not everyone believes that. Not everyone who uses the name Christian to describe or define themselves believes that. So we're kind of a subset of the broad Christian tradition that believes those things. Specifically, Bevington says, biblicism, crucicentrism, which just means, you know, biblicism, centrality of the Bible, crucicentrism, centrality of the cross, cruce, crucifix, right? Conversionism, which is what I've already mentioned a couple of times, men and women, being born again, trusting and follow Jesus, and then activism, the gospel is um, spread, and also we live out its implications through effort. You know, your church there, you know, doing these wonderful things in uh, racial reconciliation. Well, why do you do those things? I mean, because you do this because you're followers of Jesus, and this is the kind of activism that you feel God has called you to. Let me go on the counselor couch before you right now. Yes. And just share with you my life over the last 18 months, and I want you to speak into it as to what what this means about evangelicalism, the state of the church, what's going on. Because I've heard I've heard you talk about some things recently, which is why I wanted to have you on. You you really got your your pulse on a bunch of things that are happening. So let me just process with you, and then you tell me like what's the thing under the thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. COVID has just kicked my ass upside down, one side, the other. It's just been tough. It's wonderful to be able to say that word on my podcast. Yeah, it's your podcast, stage, not mine. I you do. can't say it on my podcast. Well, actually, well, anyway. <laughs> I won't say it on your, I won't say it on your podcast, but it's greatest of life. So I'm just, I'm talking on this like I would with somebody if I'm having a beer with them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it started off, it started off, COVID started off, like it was, it was a, there was a, a jolt of leadership firepower, right, like, okay, right. yeah. we always knew the church wasn't about buildings. Yep. Here we go. Let's, let's, let's make that. Let's unite together. And, let's make a difference. Yep. Right, exactly. And it was really fun. It was something different. And then it started to get really just boring and just uh, just really, really old. And then all of the racial stuff went to a whole new level. Then coming out of that, you've got all kind of stuff politically. I thought Crossroads was a political free zone, that we were apolitical. I used to wear that on my sleeve. But then we're getting crushed for that because we say things that people read into or we're not saying something that people want to hear about. And then we have uh, an outside speaker comes in and we talk about transgender stuff, which was a huge mistake. I shouldn't have had an outside speaker come in. Uh, I should have been the first one to talk about it. It didn't go really, really well. And people just were hyper, hyper upset that we talked about that topic. And then we apologized that we didn't make it clear that we love people who are in the LGBTQIA plus community, and I should have handled it differently. And then we had just many people upset that we apologized for it. Yeah. Oh, and then oh, and then I I have the audacity to say that uh, I I I got vaccinated. I think it's a good idea. You might want to think about it. And oh my gosh, people just come unglued. You shouldn't be using that. Why don't I come to church to hear about vaccines? And I, I Ed, I feel like I can't do right. Yeah. I can't do, I can't, it used to be, I felt like I couldn't do wrong. Now today, I feel like I can't do right. What's going on? I know there's something, I know I'm not just failing as a leader. 
I feel that very, very much. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not just feeling feelings, but there's something else going on culturally. What's going on? Yeah, I think we're in the midst of a cultural convulsion. And uh, David Brooks wrote an article about this. I think he called it a moral convulsion. I wanted to broaden it to a cultural convulsion. Uh, Brooks is a new follower of Jesus, New York Times columnist. Uh, I think he wrote this in The Atlantic. And yeah, I mean, 2020, 2021 wasn't just about COVID, though that should have been enough. Remember, we had two impeachments. We had mass political division, an election, a contested election, a January 6th riot, uh, the murder of George Floyd, summer riots that followed. Um, And people are actually keeping track of what you said and didn't say. So let's say you mentioned the murder of George Floyd um, and you didn't mention the summer riots, but then you did mention again, maybe the January 6th riots. People are like, well, wait, you must be this now. So they're kind of putting you in categories and saying, well, I demand that you speak up more on this or that. exactly. And if you didn't mention the murder of George Floyd, people, people were holding signs saying, say his name. So if you didn't mention the murder of George Floyd, then then you're not willing to take specific stands on specific injustices and more. So what's happened is this is perhaps the most difficult time to uh, for pastors and church leaders, but it's not the first time. I, was gonna, I should finish my sentence. The most difficult time in our lifetime. And I remember, I don't even remember where we were. You and I were having dinner together somewhere with some group, and it was just such a simpler time. Um, yes. But it's not like that anymore. It's, yeah, we were talking about simple things like, should churches be huge and massive, or should they be smaller? Yeah, that, exactly. Those are, those are nice discussions. Yeah, those are nice. I miss those discussions. Let's go back to those. Yeah. So, so what's happening is is a cultural convulsion, which happens appears every 60 years. Now, you and I are not old enough to remember the 60s, personally, um, but we might look historically. So think about 1968, right? 1968, Vietnam War protests, civil rights protests. Martin Luther King Jr. assassinated that year. Today, by the way, he's almost universally affirmed. But back then, low 20s approval rating. People call him and anyone who supported him a communist and more. And all this is – Bobby Kennedy assassinated that year. Riots, like riots all over the place, including riots in Chicago that was later – the report said it was a police riot. The mayor Daley said, just go break open all their heads, and, and the cops did. So we have all this complexity. And what a lot of people forget, Brian, is that was also the year of a global pandemic, Um, H3N2, and that our grandparents would have called it the Hong Kong flu. And instead of shutting everything down, they actually started planting Woodstock. So their approach was a little different back then as far as (laughs) how to handle things. So, But if you're a pastor in 1968, man, you felt the angst. People were saying, are you going to speak up on civil rights? If you didn't speak up on civil rights, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote wrote a book, uh, Letters from a Birmingham Jail, towards white pastors who didn't speak up on civil rights. So there's this push and this pull going on that is similar to what we are feeling now. Now, pastors are in the middle of it because, you know, they're they're not the only ones, but they're in the middle of it because they have people who are, you know, you're a multicultural church. You're known for your robust and important conversations uh, around racial justice and racial reconciliation. But if you spoke up about um, the murder of George Floyd, which, I mean, we, we, police officers everywhere would say this is not what it's – I mean, this was widely – Republicans and Democrats all said this is horrible, this is wrong. But then it got politicized later and people began to say, well, does that mean you don't support the police? You know, my my brother is the highest-ranking law enforcement in western North Carolina with the federal government. My uncle, New York City cop, my grandfather, fire battalion chief, New York City. You know, these are – of course, we come from a law enforcement family. But it's hard now to both be concerned about racial justice and reconciliation and be someone who cares about about 
you know, violence being restrained in our communities and supports the good work of so many good police officers. So all of a sudden, this has all come crashing down. It's a cultural convulsion. Now you asked, you know, what's next? Well, we don't know, but here's what we see in past cultural convulsions. Go back to the early 1900s, the 60s. It's not a one or two year deal. It tends to be three, four, five years. So I think, you know, what I'm telling pastors, it's not a pastor podcast, what I'm telling pastors is, man, you got to build some reservoirs of resilience for the next few years. If I used to say, pastors leading, I said, man, if you're church, if 5% of your church isn't mad at you, you probably had 5% of your church mad at you all the time for the last 20 years. You know, if 5% of your church isn't mad at you, you're probably not doing anything substantial in leadership. But man, and I would tell them back in the day before, before 2020, I would say, but if 70% of your church is mad at you, you might want to slow down and bring the people along with you. Well, here's, man, if 25 or 30% of your people aren't mad at you, you're probably just not in the midst of the normal tug of war that's going on right now in our culture. So, so no, I think you're rightly reading the times. I, I don't really I don't, 30%. I, that, yeah, that's, I'm, that's I'm making that number up. So it's, it's, I'm, no, you know, it's all right, it's, but that's encouraging. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, so I was talking to, uh, I preached out at a, hmm. a church called, uh, that some of your listeners may not be familiar with, but it's called Saddleback in Southern California. And, and I was talking to the pastor, his name's Rick Warren, his wife's Kay Warren. And we were talking and it's like, you know, they're, they're trying to deal with all this stuff. Southern California, a lot of rules. Um, but they're, they're, they're talking about how many people have left unhappy with, I mean, he, he pastored them for 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. And when you were told people they got to wear masks, you're a compromised coward. When you, when you told people that masks were recommended, not required, well, you don't care about people. You must think you want everyone to die of COVID and, and it's just coming at you constantly. And it's a, it's, it's a remarkably difficult time to lead in 2021. And I don't think it's going away for two, three more years. Uh, yeah, sorry. So, so, so what's the, what do I do? Because uh, part of me, part of me says, well, do I and other pastors, do we, do we just go in a corner and play rope-a-dope and let's just teach the right theology and all that stuff? Or do we speak into things. Yeah. I mean, this is called the Aggressive Life Podcast. Part of why I've gotten in this trouble we have is we've we've chosen to speak to certain things. I don't know, man. What it, do, you, do you speak into certain things? Or you just say, forget it, we're just going to do our verse-by-verse verse Bible study and never mention anything anywhere? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think, well, let me just say on verse-by-verse verse Bible study. So, you know, I'm, I'm the interim teaching pastor of a church in New York City. Uh, maybe for a little while longer, they have a pastor coming next week in view of a call. But, um, on the Sunday after 9-11, this is in New York City, right? So this church is on West 57th Street across from Carnegie Hall. I'm preaching through the book of Matthew, and we come up on the verse, uh, you know, to pray for your enemies uh, and love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And, you know, so sometimes even verse by verse, I mean, the Sunday, the 20th, after the 20th anniversary of 9-11, uh, you preach on that. But what I would say, too, is it's important, too, because, you know, you have a national global platform. You know, I'm a cultural commentator, so I will say things that I encourage pastors and church leaders not to say. So, you know, I, I write specifically on public policy on issues. I'm, I'm, I'm pro-life, right? I'm pro-religious liberty. I'm pro-racial reconciliation. I'm, I'm, I'm pro-refugee, you know, so, and which maddens people because those four things aren't supposed to track together, and yet I think it matters that they do. So as a cultural commentator, I would say more than most pastors would. But what I what, what I would say is I think it's 
Um, I do think there are things in our culture that people need to hear that pastors are, you know, I, I think after the murder of George Floyd, I think it was appropriate to say we grieve with the members of our African-American community who saw and were, were deeply wounded, and we join with them in calling for justice in the case of, uh, of George Floyd. And we want to live in a world where they're not wondering if their lives indeed do matter. I think it's good to say that. I think it's good to say that. Um, and, but I'm not sure that that's an every week thing, right? I think, uh, you know, we, I joined faith pastors. Uh, James Meeks is the pastor of uh, one of the largest uh, black churches in Chicago. And he's a student at our program at Wheaton College Graduate School. And he's the on the board of Moody Bible Institute, he texts me and says, would you come down and join the Faith Leaders March? And I'm like, of course I will. And we 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 marched against injustice. We also stood at the place where uh, a drugstore had been looted during the riots and and the high-rises, predominantly African-American senior adult housing. They could now now get the medication they needed to survive because of the injustice brought about by by rioting. So, so you know, I, I would say that it is it is good to weigh in with a biblical perspective. Not here's my opinion, with a biblical perspective. And it gets tricky. You know, after the election, um, you know, my phone lit up by pastors asking me, you know, by, by I think it was Friday, Fox News called, and I think all the major networks called the election for now President Biden. And my phone lit up. People say, do I pray for President-elect Biden now this Sunday? Well, if you did, people noticed because some people still were saying the election wasn't fair and more. So I would say you got to sort of balance out. Where do you want to spend your capital, your your influence? And I would say on you have very much done so. You've spent on issues of racial reconciliation. But I would also mention you talked about sexuality earlier. I, I think that's a conversation everyone's talking about. I think that's an appropriate conversation. I appreciate what you're saying. You you maybe should have done that message. But but what I would say is that's an appropriate conversation for us to have. People want to know. What does the Bible teach about these issues? And, you know, how might we, you know, address, um, you know, issues of gender identity? You know, gender dysphoria is a real thing. What does it mean as a follower of Jesus who struggles with gender dysphoria? What does it mean as the church to, to, uh, to uphold biblical truth and to care for people who are struggling? So, so yeah, I would say, like your series where you kind of went into these, you know, this is your <laughs> the Aggressive Life podcast, right? Well, you just went, you went at those things. And you know, one of them, one of them blew up. Um, but you know what? I'm just glad you you were willing to have these conversations because a lot of people are hiding from these conversations. Again, I don't think pastors should be cultural commentators. I don't think every week should be right. this right. issue to that issue, to that issue. But the major issues of the day that have biblical bearing. Now, here's the thing: I've read the Bible cover to cover multiple times. I've never seen Jesus mentioned his preferred marginal tax rate for the U.S. system. So I don't get up and talk about, well, here's, I think we need higher or lower taxes. Because I, I don't think that's something. But when it comes to uh, racial reconciliation, how we speak of immigrants and refugees, it's called life in the womb. These are all things that are biblical teachings. Yeah. So you bet I'm going to talk about those. I think that part of the reason why everything is so contentious right now isn't just that the church mirrors culture too much because all of culture is contentious. I, I also think that everybody is more worn out and more bruised than they give themselves credit for. I heard a statistic the other day, and, and I can't verify it, so I'm not even going to verify the statistic or tell you where it came from. 
but I think it's a great conversation start off point. The the it was from a somebody who worked in data collection, one of the big boys and all that yeah. stuff, and said based on what we see with all that's happening online, a sizable percentage of the American population by the standards of five years ago would be institutionalized. Because we're just on the edge. Yeah. People are worn out. I see it in people's eyes. I see yeah. bags. Uh, I, I met with a guy recently who, who who was leaving our church. It was a real rough one to, to see. And I hadn't seen him for a year and a half. I looked at this guy and he was like, wow, he is, yeah. he is not who he was a year and yeah, a half ago. Are you seeing that? Or do you have any reaction to that? What, that? what that says about just our own personal health as Americans? Yes, no, absolutely. So, you know, for me, you know, I... I've been a big advocate for mental health. Um, you know, I've been a big advocate for people seeking treatment and more. And part of it has to do with a family story that I've written in other places. Don't time to unpack here. Um, but, you know, at the beginning of COVID, you know, we at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, I mean, we were all in. We were launching coronavirusinthechurch.com. We were helping churches. People were using our resources. We, we actually, through our partnerships, had 10,000 churches go through mentoring partnerships we were working with. And our whole team, some of them were right here um, in while I'm recording this, you know, they're working 12, 14-hour days. And, you know, at the same time, I got, I got three three daughters. They got three daughters. And, you know, one's, you know, high school graduation's canceled. You know, all these things are gone. The other college shuts down and nobody, all our friends are gone. And, you know, Donna's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. So I, after President Trump, you know, announced the two-week uh, shutdown and then he extended it to four weeks, I said to her, because I'm a big extrovert, I said to her, so, you know, four more weeks in lockdown, is this, as an introvert, is this a good thing for you? Do you like like us being, you know, kind of like, and her response to me, she smiled and said, are you going to be here the whole time? You know, because it was all this stress for all of us sort of experiencing. And and then a friend of mine uh, died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. It made national news. Darren Patrick was his name. And mm, yep. um, I wept for Amy. I wept for his kids. And, and for me, it was a point where I had nothing left. And I actually been experiencing this low-level anxiety for the first time I go to my doctor. I say, listen, uh, I'm, as you said, I'm a big advocate. I'm now experiencing this anxiety that has been here for, you know, for, for weeks, months now. And he advised some dieting changes, and I lost a lot of weight, started exercising. But the reality is, man, I think people really are struggling emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And I think that's normal. That's probably um, saying that, hopefully, for people listening to the podcast, that's freeing for them. I mean, you were saying is, you know, you were asking rhetorically, you know, am I a bad leader? I think that's why pastors are asking, am I a bad leader? And they're asking also, am I going through some sort of personal crisis? And I think we're going through a global crisis. So, and people even talking about this, people are like, well, you should have made COVID such a big deal. Everyone's got an opinion about everything. And I, I want to quote that famous theologian, Taylor Swift, you need to calm down about every opinion that you have, right? <laughs> but, but I do think it's a real crisis and... Uh, as pastors and leaders, you and I are, are working with a lot of people. As pastor leaders, think about quitting the ministry, um, and people in churches who are divided. and And I would just say too, if you're being discipled by your cable news, and you're being spiritually shaped by your social media, and then you come to Crossroads or or High Point where I am, or or Calvary where I serve as interim, and you expect your pastor to align ideologically rather than theologically. Well, that tells me that you're being shaped more by your cable news than the gospel and the scriptures. And I think ultimately, 
my job is not to be the advocate for everything you've seen on cable news or on social media. My job is to teach the Word of God, to speak up for issues when there's brokenness and wrongness, and 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 to do so in a godly, Christ-honoring way. But boy, we've never seen a time like this before, and I think you know, we're here two or three more years to walk through it. We'll see. Dude, theological alignment instead of ideological alignment. Wow, that's yeah. strong. Yeah. All right, man, dude, I could go so deep with you. I'll just ask you one more because I know you're on a tight time frame. It's a, it's a big one. The church is not short of scandals these days. Yep. You got Willow Creek that's still licking its wounds and all that happened with Bill Hybels, who is a driving force in evangelicalism. You've got you've got Hillsong, which was you know everybody's favorite band, and every and now it's like every every news channel's latest scandal with financial stuff or impropriety, whatever, bad stuff there. You got the the hottest podcast, which is a phenomenal podcast, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, just how it's produced and everything, that kind of makes all of us, all of us meaning men who have larger churches suspect, yeah. at least I feel that, uh, I feel that about it. Uh, is, is this the death knell of the church as we know it in America, or at least the church that has any size to it at all? No, no. I mean, again, you know, there. this has been, the death of the large church has been predicted for as long as I have been uh, pastor and leading. Same thing for you. We've heard this over and over again, that this is this is it, this is the end. And I, I, I know right. is the answer to your question. I think where most people, you know, when they go to, when they go to the church you serve, um, they connect with the people there and they see their struggles and their imperfections and they do acknowledge those things are real. But most people, um, Suspicion grows when we see national scandals, but they still are engaging with their neighbor. And so what I would say is I think I think it does. You, you specifically mentioned larger churches. You're pastoring one of the largest churches in the country. What I would say to uh, pastors and leaders who are pastoring in some large churches, I have a gathering of the pastors of some of the largest churches in the country. We had a conversation this summer at a uh, private gathering uh, of those pastors, and my station to them was get in better accountability, um, get deal with your own emotional and spiritual health. You know, it's a good thing to deal with your emotional, your own emotional and spiritual health. Uh, have you know, have a group of elders. You know, if, if your elders never tell you no, you don't have elders. You have cheerleaders because all they're doing is cheering you on. They're not eldering in the process. So I think there are lessons to be learned, and we should learn those lessons. You know, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Uh, Mike Cosper is. You know, it's interesting to so, you know, I, I'm, I've been quoted in several of the episodes, and in doing so, um, it every time, you know, I don't know when I'm going to get quoted, I listen to an episode, and it's there, and I'm like, oh, because I feel like it's also a, in Christian faith, we talk about a prophetic reminder, something that speaks prophetically to me. So every time I listen to another episode, or even I hear myself on that episode, I think I've got to make sure I guard my own heart as well. And so I think, you know, we want to be careful not to say there but the grace of God go I with something like Ravi Zacharias. That's not there but the grace of God go I. There was just a level of of evil and hiding there that's quite stunning. But my heart, too, needs to be guarded and watched. And so what I would say to you, to me, to other Christian leaders, um, let's hear the prophetic rebuke that comes from these falls and say, how do I guard my heart? How do I guard my relationships? How do I not 
start being that person that I don't want to be. And we've all, listen, I've seen it. You've seen it. Sometimes we can become the person we don't want to be. And how do, how do we do that? I, I think it has to do with relationships, accountability, walk with the Lord and more. So that's, yeah, I mean, but, but as far as statistically, the number of megachurches in the United States doubles every 10 years, and there's no sign that that trend is slowing. Uh, you know, at the beginning of COVID, people say the end of the large church is not the end of the large church. It certainly has some substantive impact on gathering, but um, people seem to be drawn to large churches. Let's make sure those large churches don't come become all about you or all about me or all about the machine and the system, but they become about God's glory, our good, and the good of others in our community as well. People are predicting the demise of the quote-unquote attractional church, the megachurch. You're exactly right for for literally decades. Literally decades. And and you're right. Churches just keep getting bigger and bigger, yeah. and there keeps getting more and more of them. And I think the the bigger question is how are we doing on health? Where's that going? Yeah. And I think you you're, you're putting your finger on something, and we got to stop playing the whole church wars, the church size wars, and it's it's about the heart. And unfortunately, we've got some broken hearts in Christendom where we wouldn't keep having these these problems we got. I agree. I agree. And I think I think ultimately, um, the last few years have av- revealed some real problems in our movement. We started talking about what evangelicalism is. Um, I wish it was just those four things at the Bevington Quadrilateral, but it's there's a lot of issues. There's issues of unhealthy relationships, lack of accountability. There's issues of how we treat one another, issues of how we treat one another, you know, men and women and, and people of different races and ethnicities. And what I would say is, um, you know, evangelicalism's not dying uh, or even declining by most measures substantively. Large churches are not, certainly not declining. They're, they're growing. The, my concern is not whether we're declining, but I do want to be careful of what we're becoming. Let's make sure that we are being shaped by the scriptures, uh, by the kind of life that Jesus calls us to, and if that's the case, I think I think we'll we'll learn from this current season of of scandal, and instead it'll it'll draw us closer to the Lord. Well, the scary thing is for me and for others is yeah, as there's been more churches and more huge churches. That doesn't mean there's more believers in Christ in culture. There's not more believers in Christ in culture. Um, I don't think so. There's probably less or the same, whatever it is, they're amassed in fewer churches that are larger. So if I was an evil one who was trying to take down the work of God, uh, my job's a little bit easier because I got fewer targets now. Because if I could take down that guy or that organization, now I've just messed with with the faith of tens of thousands of people versus taking down some guy who's a great guy, but is pastoring 150 people when you got a bunch of churches that are that size. So I, I think the stakes of the game are higher, and I just think we're in perilous times. And I'm not encouraged that you're saying we're in for two to three more years yeah, of this. Sorry. No, other maybe than, I'll be wrong. Maybe right. I'll be wrong. Well, but if there, but if there is an end date, yeah. If if there is, if I could say, all right, it's that. That actually is encouraging yeah. for that. So you got any other closing thoughts for us? We've already gone over your time. Anything else you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? Yeah, I would just, I would encourage people who listen to the podcast, you know, where your audience is not pastors and church leaders, that in the midst of 1968, all this stuff took place. It was a crazy tumultuous time. It was actually more divided than today. Millions of people, Vietnam War protests, civil rights movement, and more. And churches were divided, people were divided, and... There was a guy named Chuck Smith who brought home his asked his daughter to bring home a hippie, brought home a guy named Lonnie Frisbee, 
They started a Bible study at this place called Calvary Chapel, and 20 to 30 million people kind of traced their spiritual heritage to how God moved in that very broken time. And what I would just say is, is if you're feeling that, you know, in the midst of your own life and your own brokenness, draw near to the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, it's an opportunity for you to receive by grace and through faith the good news of the gospel. If you do know the Lord, it's an opportunity to trust him that he's going to work even in the midst of a tumultuous and turbulent time. Well said, Ed Stetzer. Some good words for us. Hey, I hope we pushed you here today. Maybe this is just aggressive and that you open yourself up to an industry. <laughs> not that the church is an industry, but you know, a segment of America that you're not all that familiar with. Hey, whatever you are, whatever organization you're in, whatever business you're in, whatever your walk of life in, it's tough out there right now. It is. Hey, man up, woman up, put your big person panties on and live your life, take control of your life. Don't just be a victim, go forward. That's the aggressive life. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. The Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.